I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. We have a very special guest in Mid-South Moments this week, former Extreme Championship Wrestling referee and now owner of the old-time wrestling promotion school in New Jersey. Welcome to Mid-South Moments, Jim Molyneux. Jim, thank you so much for your time this evening. It's really, really great to have you on um, and really looking forward to chatting about wrestling with you for the next hour or so. Oh, thanks for having me on. This will be fun. I, I'm learning a little bit about the territories now myself, um, not really being um, familiar with them from an earlier age. So it's fun go- doing all this. They ain't no, it's, it's, I, I've really enjoyed the uh, 16 or 17 episodes I've watched so far. And there's so much cracking stuff in this promotion. So before we get on to Mid-South, um, tell me what was your sort of entry point to wrestling and um i know you grew up in the northeast so i'm guessing worldwide worldwide wrestling federation which is a bit of a mouthful isn't it with the yes. extra w yes yeah you can see why vince jr got rid of it from, yes. from his dad but yeah that's the promotion i grew up with in the the um 70s um bob Backlund was the champion at the time uh more than than bruno san martino bruno was gone uh, but then came back and did some, worked uh, every once in a while, and then did some managing and, and some commentary work. So, what, what did the TV look like back then? In terms of was was that a weekly show the WWF did, or was there a couple of shows, a bit like it was in the late no, syndication days? Yeah, no, it was one time a week. Um, it wasn't like um, when when Vince Junior took over and, and would do the nationally syndicated um, superstars or uh, whatever else challenge or whatever the shows were. It was just one show. So it was all star wrestling. I think it was called. Um, and it was once a week and it was from usually about three or four different locations in, in within the territory. So it was Allentown, Pennsylvania. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a place called, um, Oh, there was a place in Philadelphia that they ran. It wasn't the Philadelphia Civic Center. And some somebody's going to hit me in the back of the head for not remembering. But anyway, there was a place in Philadelphia, and it wasn't the big place, which at the time was the Spectrum. Mm. Um, so, um, and then they also did Poughkeepsie, I, I believe, and there was one more, um, Hamburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, yes. So, and yeah. They were all usually like uh, Hamburg was a, a gymnasium. Um, Allentown was was a little arena that was it was basically an empty shell building that they would move the the bleachers into place. Um, and, and when they would record them, they would do six weeks worth of television <laughs> in one taping. So Did the you fan, any of these? No, no, no. My. No, no, my my dad, my dad was a working man. He worked hard for his money. He was he was a house painter, uh, so we didn't get a lot of things like that um, growing up. I don't want to say we grew up poor because we we took great vacations and and you know got to go to baseball games and things like that. But it just wasn't in the budget for for wrestling. I, or maybe just didn't feel like going. Maybe thought it wasn't a safe thing to take a kid to. We 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 was your dad into wrestling growing up, or, or did you? Yeah, yeah. My dad was yeah. the one who introduced me int- introduced me to it. In fact, uh, you know, it would be I guess it was Saturday mornings, Saturday afternoon maybe. Um, my my dad was a um, on the weekends was kind of a weekend warrior. Uh, he was into racing motorcycles. Oh, very uh, cool. And it was uh, he was an enduro racer. In fact, for for you guys listening in England, he rode triumphs. 
did he? Okay, very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, so he would work on the tinker on the bikes on on Saturdays and come inside, have lunch, and and wrestling would be on either before or after lunch or around the area around the time. So, you know, he would catch it then. But um, but also, I don't, I don't think it replayed on Sundays. But roller derby was big too. So. He, he watched roller derby too, so that, I think yeah. that was Sunday afternoons. I've heard Dave Meltzer talk about that a lot, and that like the crossover between the um, sort of I guess parallels is probably a better word. Yeah, well, in terms of the well, area. in fact, there, there was a, a small building in in my area, uh, an, an old ice rink uh, called the Cherry Hill Arena in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and um, they would run WWWF shows, and they were promoted by or the, the local promoter was uh, Gorilla Monsoon. But I think before Gorilla, it was Buddy Rogers who, who grew up, who, who lived one town over from where I grew up, which would another town over from this town, Cherry Hill. Um, and then, but Buddy also promoted the roller derby in, in the same building. So that's interesting. So he was, he was, he was properly involved in both then by the sounds of things. Yeah. yeah. Buddy was was quite the entrepreneur. He owned a nightclub. He owned uh, uh, a couple of different properties. One was uh, like a, a mobile home <laughs> um, uh, area uh, or a park, I guess he called. Yeah, a mobile home park. Um, and he owned a liquor store. He he was quite the entrepreneur in well, the jack area. Of, jack of all trades. Yeah, yeah. So, so tell me, how did things change moving into the advent of cable television? Was that was that a I mean, that must have been a pretty special time for a wrestling fan to, to all of a sudden have access to all of these different shows from all over the country. Well, it, it, it wasn't for me at first because I was in the early ages of, of cable television. I was one my house was in the area of one of the first cable access areas. So we didn't get much other than an upgrade of your television stations. So I think maybe we had, you know, maybe instead of having, let's see, it would have been six seven seven channels we now had like maybe 12 right okay <laughs> so so we didn't get the tbs's and we didn't get stuff from new york or things like that um so we, we just had our, our still at our local stations and then we you would end up with your your local hokey cable channel that would do the the high school football or high school wrestling things like that um so it wasn't that much of an upgrade it wasn't until later in life for me, and it wasn't really that much later. Um, I got married at an early age and, and in my apartment we had, you know, we got cable and that was the introduction of USA for me, which at the time was Southwest wrestling as opposed to the WWF. They hadn't gotten the deal yet. Interesting. So who were the big stars of that promotion back then? Well, Southwest was promoted by Joe Blanchard. Um, so if you recognize, know the last name, you'll, you'll know Tully yes. Blanchard. Yeah. So it was Tully Blanchard. It was Gino Hernandez. Uh, the the Von Erichs would come in every once in a while, rent from from their territory, or the Funks from from Amarillo, um, and they would borrow. Everyone would trade off every once in a while with different talents. Jose Lothario was there. Um, trying to think who the I, I'm I'm sure I know uh, Ernie Ladd and the uh, the Samoans were there. Uh, Shawn Michaels actually came out of there. Uh, that was the okay. area. He, up and so that was where he started uh but it wasn't if you go and watch stuff on youtube it wasn't the sean michaels that that we all all know and love uh if you love him 
Um, yeah, no, I do. Yeah, <laughs> I, I must have been very young then. Sure, Marcus. Oh was yeah, eighty three, eighty four. Yeah, so. So yeah, you there? can go online and see all that older stuff, and and you know, there, I I tried. I went. I did it previously with with Mid South, which makes this you know discussion great. I've gone through everything Mid South that I've I've been able to get on online so far, or or on the WWE Network. I did it also with Smoky Mountain Wrestling. I, oh, I watched all of Smoky Mountain. That's 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 incredible. So can you can you so around that around that sort of time, what was what was the, your usual sort of viewing per week? What what promotion? So moving to eighty three, eighty four, was there lots of stuff available by that time? Uh, no, really, the only things were um, were the USA Network, which be, and as far as I can remember, the Mid South wasn't on that long there. So you had the WWF there. You had your local. Um, syndicated broadcasts of superstars or, and challenge or whatever it was at the time. They changed the names a few times. So you had those. Um, then you got the, um, then TBS came on board and that's when you got um, either Georgia or, or Crockett promotion, mid, mid Atlantic um, wrestling. And then ESPN picked up a deal with um, the Von Erichs and you got world class, okay, wow. um, yeah. and you did, it wasn't really that up to date. Uh, it was it was maybe like a, a year or so behind, and they would rerun a lot of stuff so you, they could kind of catch up, um, or or you know I think they only had so many they could show, or I'm, I'm not sure what their deal was, oh, but it wasn't yeah. quite up to date. Because I, I remember, funnily enough, um, we had so so we were really far behind you guys in terms of. Terms of cable, I think we, we we only had three stations until maybe like the mid '80s. Then the fourth came on, and actually, actually, a, a very early version of satellite TV didn't come until the probably late '80s. You get it, and the hard, literally, probably less than one percent of the country had it, maybe even less than half a percent. But from about 1990, it was a bit more prevalent. But I remember one of the one of the sports channels, Eurosport, used to show USWA tapes. It must have been three or four years out of date. Um, and they would occasionally have sort of history, history stuff on that. And that was the first time I saw, I'm sure they had the David Von Erich memorial show, like the, the highlights of the Ric Flair, Kerry Von Erich match and that sort of stuff. And obviously Kerry was in the WF by that point. Um, right. But it was, yeah, it was quite mad looking, looking back at some of, the, some of those old tapes. So um, can you remember what your first live event was? From what Was it around that, around that time? Yeah, actually, you know what? I didn't go to a live event till uh, quite I guess maybe later in my life. <laughs> um, it was the Great American Bash, and I want to say it was 1987. Okay. Um, the it, main event. I don't. I can't think what the main event. I'm, I, my knowledge is for for, uh, for early NWA stuff is not WRF is like we just didn't really get NWA WCW here too much. So some so it's a bit hazy for that stuff. Can you remember what the main event for that one was? I I don't remember which was the main event, but I know we it was. <laughs> the the Midnight Express against the Rock and Roll Express, um, and and Jim Cornette. So it was the Midnight's and Jim against the Rock and Roll Express in a a tennis racket lumberjack match. Okay. So so all the lumberjacks around the ring had tennis rackets. Oh, that's great. That's um, great. and I I, I want to say Magnum against Nikita was there. Okay. But, but so the maybe one it was that I six then perhaps I think no because mm, I want because the year before was outdoors in, in Philadelphia oh, okay. Veterans Stadium and I know the main event was 
Ric Flair against Hawk, mm. uh, which was on a um, a DVD that they sold. Um, uh, so I, I know the the next year, but the, the the match that I remember the most was it was a double bull rope match, and it was Dusty Rhodes and Ron Garvin against Tully Blanchard and Ric Flair. So they were all they were all connected together in this, were they? they well, Tully was connected to to um, Garvin and Flair was connected to Dusty. Oh, I've never all... seen that. Yeah, I've yeah. never seen it. that tag match. And like it was that. really funny. I, I, I was taking pictures at the time, just going and taking pictures, not professionally, but I just happened to have a really good seat in like the third row. And I just sat there and turned a little bit to the right and snapped and turned a little bit to the left and snapped. And you can put the two pictures together and it lines up like they're, they're connected. Oh, one big picture. It came out really well. That's fantastic. So how, how, Jim, how did you move from um, sort of lots of us, are, you know, fans of wrestling, how did you move from that to actually thinking, well, this, this is something I'd actually quite like to get involved in and, and, and you know, potentially work in? Well, in going to the NWA shows at the Philadelphia Civic Center, there was a ring announcer named Joel Goodhart. And he had a, also had a local radio show on Saturday mornings. So I started listening to that. And out of that, he had, they had a fan club and he would do luncheons with um, mainly NWA guys when they were in town for the show, um, but would do a luncheon on a Saturday afternoon. And you'd come in and question and answer session and, and pictures and autographs, the whole bit. Um, so I started going to those and he, he would ask, he got, I guess he felt I was responsible enough, but I started driving some of the people for the shows, some of the, the, the talent okay. for the shows. Um, so then after a little while, he started his own promotion called the tri-state wrestling Alliance. And you can go online and catch some of their stuff. Um, and he would run uh, local shows at high school gyms or, or recreation centers. Uh, we even, uh, I'm pretty sure we ran the Philadelphia Sports Bar. I can't remember if it was just DCW that did that or if Joel did that too. Um, but then four times a year, Joel also ran uh, a larger show. And they originally started at... Um, McGonagall Hall, which is at Temple University, and then he eventually moved them to one of the halls at Philadelphia Civic Center. And uh, when he started doing that, I was like, you know what? I really got into it, and I, I was like, wow, you know, I'd really like to to get into the business, and, and not just behind the scenes. I'd like to be in in front of the people. And I, I originally approached him because he ran a school also had a school attached to the promotion. Um, I originally approached him about being a manager. I wanted to be okay. Bobby Heenan. I wanted to be Jim Cornette. Um, and we talked for a while and he said, yeah, I really don't need another manager. And he didn't because he had a couple of local people that he used and he would also use, um, woman, Nancy Sullivan. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, so there, there was no room for another manager. He said, but I could use a referee. And he, he, you know, sold me on going to the school and actually guaranteed me to, to make back in a year what I would have, what I paid into going to the school. <laughs> so he said, give me a call back. Yeah. <laughs> so he said, give me a call back in a few days and, and we'll talk more about it. 
So I hung up and, and I, I was married at the time and I still am. And I said to my wife, um, you know, here's the opportunity and, and I would need, um, I think it was $1,400 at the time. And it was, it was a lot of money. It yeah. was a lot of money. Any time, but certainly in what, sure. 89 was this, wasn't it? Yeah. Right. And had wife and a son. So it was, you know, a little bit of a, a question whether we come up with the money. And, and so I did find the money. I got it, actually got it out of my 401k from, from my work. Um, so I called him back 10 minutes later and he said, okay. And I said, okay, when do I start? <laughs> so I was there that I was there the next week and trained two nights a week for about eight to 10 weeks and then did my first match. Wow. Okay. So, and I know that was, that was 89. Was it the first, can you remember right. who was in that first match? It was Jimmy Gennetti against Glenn Osborne and, okay. and, 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 and the tri-state wrestling. No relation to Marty Janetti, I presume. No, no, no. The guy just happened to look like it. it was the thing to do in in the eighties at the time. There, if you looked or 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 worked like someone with a name, you would adopt their the last name. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, Try state was that? Was this the Eddie Gilbert was involved in this around that that time? Was he that? was. Yeah, yeah, Eddie Gilbert yeah. came in. Um, he was the Joel was the owner of the company and really the 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 head booker um, with uh, with Larry Winters, who was the the trainer at the school. And Larry was uh, had traveled locally through different promotions, territorial promotions in in the Northeast, and well known. Um, if if you want to look up some Larry Winters stuff, look up Larry Winters against DC Drake. Oh, they would do that some down, yeah. great. They would do great dog collar matches. Oh really? Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was part of Tri-State. But they did those also all over the place, too. Um, so, it's yeah. Um, Tri-State was quite... I, I'm not sure how to, how to put this in the right way, but it was quite a... Um, I don't want to say violent, but was it quite a blood and gut sort of promotion? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was It was very uh, reminiscent of um, a combination of probably Puerto Rico and Memphis wrestling is what I would compare it to. Okay. So ser serious, sort of pretty serious angles sure. and yeah. The right. You know, the, the, the famous thing that came out of it was the, the feud between Cactus Jack and Eddie Gilbert. Mm. Um, they, the, the show, the, the big shows, they would have them come in and they would do a couple specialty matches. Like the, the one was a barbed wire match where, and you remember Cactus would, or Mick Foley. I, I, I've always called him Cactus, and I always will. Um, does the the thing out of the off the over the top rope where he gets his head caught? Yes. The, and that was the one that tore his ear. But so imagine doing this now with barbed wire. Oh, crikey! Well, I guess the barbed wire just, <laughs> just not. Unlike the ropes, probably doesn't cap. Uh, you know, I've never been. I've been in a, inside a wrestling ring once. Had my face taken with to Tonka about twenty years ago, so I can't really speak for what the ropes would do. But I'd imagine the barbed wire wouldn't be bound all that tight, so you just almost fall through. And that must be. I mean, that's pretty unbelievably athletic to try and take something like that and not yeah. end up so, in awful place, really. Yeah. So, so like that angle or, or that match led to the next time they were in town. It was two out of three matches, not three out of two out of three falls, and each match had a different stipulation to it. So the one was was pins count anywhere in the building. The one was uh, the second one was a stretcher match, and the third one was in a cage. And it was oh, a wild night. 
So that's that's like a precursor to the Steve Austin Triple H three stages of hell, which I, I I hadn't ever heard of a kind of a two out of three falls match in that way. But it sounds like that's probably the maybe that's the first time that's ever ever was done, perhaps. It, it may have, or or knowing knowing Joel, it could have been stolen from Memphis, or or Eddie came into came in with the idea from Memphis. Mm, yeah, I mean everything is old, everything that's old is new again at some point, isn't there? Really, right? There's, there's not fifties. So here, here's a real sort of layman's question. So I was thinking about this in terms of, you know, if some if someone said to me um, tomorrow night, I want you to referee a match, and I ne- obviously don't know, I have no idea, and I'd probably be about a thousand things going through my mind to think, oh, God, I'm so worried about this. But the thing I think I thought the most is I think I would just think I'd be in the guy's way the whole time. So, so was, was there, <laughs> were, there particular pe- were there particular people that were more difficult, more unpredictable to work with in ring? Or did you just get the feel over uh, inexperience kind of thing and you knew when stuff was going to, you kind of got the feel of what they were going to do and you could kind of make sure you didn't get in the middle of like a big body block or something like that? Right, yeah. The more, the definitely, the more you worked with with certain people, and, and that was what was great about um, a territory. And it, I wouldn't call tri-state a territory, but it was the only group that I worked for. So, so you got to work with the same people over and over again, and you tended to get used or or know their their matches or their psychology of their match and where they would go, what their move patterns were, and things like that. So you knew where to to get out of the way, but you also have to, when, when you think about something like moving from tri-state to, to ECW and, and ECW adding television, now you got to keep out of the way of the camera guys too. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's, so let, let's move on to obviously ECW. So was, was there a point in those early years where you felt that something really special and pretty revolutionary was happening? Um, you know, not until, the, the first pay-per-view barely legal. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, you know, the special moments for me with ECW were when we first got TV, which Eddie Gilbert was the, the booker for that when we started television. So that was the, uh, was that the syndicated show that was, TV back, in, back at the start. No, well, yeah. I mean, but still it was just in the Philadelphia area. Mm. So it, it wasn't even gone, haven't even gone to New York or anything like that. They just were interested in staying in Philadelphia. Um, so that um, one match in particular for me, I thought was, was important to the company. And that was um, the, the triple threat match between Sabu, Shane Douglas and, and Terry Funk. Mm. Um, the night they crossed the line. Um, yes. Yeah. Is the, is the name of the show. I think that really propelled ECW into um, more of a, a larger spotlight in the wrestling world because tape trading was big at the time. And I think that was the first match or first show that really got ECW going with the tri- with the tape trading with that yeah. match. Um, and then the, the first pay-per-view for me was, was what I thought was, was the, the three pinnacle parts of ECW getting to that legendary status that they that yeah. they had i mean it, it was it was um i mean we we didn't get much here unfortunately until 
um, probably after you guys were on TNN, but we didn't get that show. We got we got the syndicated show, but we I mean it's it's a different time, wasn't it? Because it's obviously very early days of the internet. The internet's something completely different now. But it would be all over our wrestling magazines here. Um, like the, there was a couple of British wrestling magazines that were really popular, one in particular. But it was all it was always like very well covered, and you saw all these guys like crikey this is the you heard all about the atmosphere like this is this is the one show that i really wish i could go back in time to to actually be a part of so, so who are some of your favorite people obviously you got to work with a load of legends obviously you mentioned cactus jack earlier on and obviously people like dusty rose and terry funk um you cross paths with so um t- tell us about some of those some of those people that were were in ecw during your time there well uh, i mean i was there the entire run of the company so mm-hmm. there there are so many to to name um, but I, I think more along the line of, of uh, the matches uh, um, are important. Like I, I did some of the Eddie Gilbert, or, I'm sorry, uh, Eddie Guerrero, um, Dean Malenko matches. Incredible matches. Yeah, just phenomenal. You could you could pick pick that up and put that on any show now. What twenty? Uh, what are we talking about? Twenty twenty five years on. Twenty six yeah, years on. Twenty five. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crap, which is makes you feel old and is crazy in a, in a, in a whole different <laughs> way. Um, but those matches, you you literally could drop you drop that into a New Japan or drop that on AEW, and everyone's raving about that the next day. Right, um, I, and you know, uh, along the same line, the type that type of match, um, Lance Storm and Jerry Lynn, mm. they they just worked so well together, and and again, it, doing the matches enough that you kind of fall into the groove of everything. So you know exactly where they're going or, or you know, what their mindset is. Um, you know, I, I worked incredibly well with, with Shane Douglas. Worked incredibly well with with Just Incredible. Yeah, uh, I really like Just Incredible. And, and Douglas, actually. I, I, going back to Jerry Lynn, I thought, I thought it was a bit of a shame he didn't, didn't seem to get more of a sort of crack of the whip in the, in the WWF as it was then. But yeah. Because, and I was, what was he, light heavyweight champion for a little while. But I yes. just thought the guy was oozing talent, really. Yeah, he was, you know, he, he still is. I mean, it's a shame that he's he's banged up so much that he can't work. Um, but yeah, Jerry was was always great to work with. But like I said, it, it became such um, you you just fit right in the groove that you were part of the the team and and you were part of the match with, without being without being a part of the match, which is what makes being a referee so special is that you have to be a part of the match, but you know, not be noticed. Like, yes. you know, yes. you, I could name some of the greatest matches in ECW and you wouldn't know who the referee is, which to me is, is a compliment because it's not about me. It's about the two guys or the four guys or, or however many in the ring are in the ring. Um, so, you know, I mentioned the, the triple threat match, you know, that's why I was so proud of it because, you know, nobody knows who the referee was, but it was a great match. And yeah, but such so many things involved, yeah, yeah. you know, involved with being part of the match that, um, you know, you, those are the things you look at. So at, at the height of ECW, what was your what was your week to week looking like in terms of number of number of shows the guys would, would, would be doing? We would do two to three shows a week. Mm. Um, that's that's we, massive. You think about. You fast forward, no, like literally, even WWE aren't doing that now because they've just cut down on their house show. Right. Shows, but you guys were running two and th- two or three shows a week, which is two or three shows. Crazy. And if they yeah. Friday and Saturday. Um, if there was a third show, it would be either Thursday or or Sunday. Mm. Um, then you would have your your pay per view weeks too. But I did, but I also worked behind the scenes 
with the company. Oh, you did promotional stuff, didn't I, you? So, I, yeah. yeah, I did promotional stuff. So I would be, let's say, maybe two weeks ahead of, of where everybody was, and I would leave Tuesday morning um, and go promote Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in, in let's say, Peoria, because um, I always got the secondary cities, nothing against Peoria, but I would, but I would get the secondary cities. So we would do like Peoria Friday night, Chicago Saturday night, something like that. So I would do the, the secondary city, uh, like I said, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then fly Friday morning to wherever we were doing shows and, and, you know, back up with, if I was there with promoting, had promoted the, you know, a few weeks earlier, help out with behind the scenes stuff for, for the show and then also referee too, and then come home Sunday morning. So that's, that's why it was a busy old time back then, wasn't it? Cause it was, it was all, all hands to the pump to keep, to keep this thing, you know, rolling on in, in the right direction. And you guys did some cracking, I mean, some, some great numbers at the, at the box in terms of attendance. And, and, and actually I think towards the end, your pay-per-views were out drawing some of the WCW pay-per-views, I think around that time. So it was I like, think so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like real, real legitimate. Um, it's just such a shame that what sort of what, what ended up happening. I, I just got a, a few more, obviously it's, I could I literally talk to you for 10 hours about the ECW stuff. I don't want to take, take up too much of your, your time, but it, it, was there any, were there any particular bumps that stood out that were, were particularly hard, hard for you the next day when, or, or anything that went wrong or, or did it all tend <laughs> to go to plan? Um, you know, I, I had a couple of, I, I fractured my wrist one time in a, in a little accident, which was my fault. Um, just got bent backwards when it, when it should, when I should have had my hands down, um, just a lack of, or just a, a, a mistake in, in my thinking when, when I, all of a sudden you have Devon Dudley flying at you in the corner. Yeah. Um, I had broken my nose, Rob Van Dam broke my nose, um, accidentally, uh, one that? time. Was that a Van Daminator or something? Or, or it was. Know? it was a match between him and balls Mahoney mm. and, and I was standing behind balls and Rob went to throw his, his spin kick balls duck and I got hit, but I got, I was supposed to be a little bit closer and I don't know whether it was my fault or what, <laughs> you know, where, where the, the depth miss was miscalculation was, but instead of getting hit in the side of the head, I got hit in the nose and it actually knocked me out for like 30 oh, seconds. Um, I, I went, did, I never knew that I was knocked out until I saw the show like two weeks later on TV and realized that, that I was down for a little bit longer than oh, so people, people were trying to wake. Yeah. People were trying yeah. to wake me up and I didn't realize it. And I thought that I just took the bump and got back up and, and counted one, two, three. And when I watched it on TV, there are people in, Fonzie came over to try to wake me up and security came over and tried oh, to wake us. And, and it, yeah. it came together when, cause afterwards when I, the match, uh, got to the back and, and I went, started talking to Chris Candido about the next match. And he's like, uh, he's like, no, you're not doing the match. I'm like, well, why not? He said, you just broke your nose. He, he goes, you were unconscious. I'm like, no, I'm okay. Let's go. And they're like, no, sit down. You're done. That's crazy. I mean, the thing is <laughs> these, these days, I mean, back, back then, you know, the concussion awareness thing was 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 so so limited. I mean, I've been a, I've been a I'm a big soccer fan here, and I've been at, at soccer slash football matches where someone 
got up for a header or something, big clash of heads, and they're clearly right. out of it. And 10 minutes later, they're playing again. I'm sure it's happened loads in all of the traditional American sports. But yeah, I think yeah. now the attitudes would, be, would probably be, you know, it's good that they stopped, they pulled you out there. But yeah, that, that's that's pretty, pretty crazy. Um, in terms of ECW, was there one particular decision that either they made or didn't make that stands out for you that you would have done sort of potentially differently if, if you could have, have the time over again? Uh, I, I don't think I would have grown as fast as we did. Mm. I, I think I would have stayed more um, located to the to the northeast or to the the areas where we were um, financially successful. Like like we did very well in Florida, which I, I didn't mind traveling to Florida. Uh, sure, yeah. Um, you know, but there there were some areas that we went to that maybe we didn't need to go to uh, that we weren't all that successful in. Um, and, and I think that would have cut down a little bit on the travel and the travel budget, and maybe we could have saved some money that way, but it, it, it would have eventually, you know, died out uh, yeah. financially anyway. I think it's such a shame because when there's TV stations now in 2020 that are throwing money left, right and center at all sorts of sports properties, you think ECW just wasn't, in terms of the TV picture, it, just, it was just a little bit early, well, perhaps a lot early, probably probably maybe 19, 20 years early in terms of when that, that TV situation changed a lot. But I, I think now, if you were getting the numbers that you were getting on TNN, you, you'd have four or five networks sort of biting your hands off for, the, for this. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. But I, but I also think the times have changed so much um, that it would have been a completely different product. Yeah, uh, I think... You know, I don't know what ECW would look like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what the company would look like nowadays um maybe maybe less uh gratuitous violence yeah or, or yeah. gratuitous um sexual innuendos we we did a lot of that um yeah. and, and maybe more um of the variations of of styles that ecw had because you know everybody just thinks you know everybody went through flaming tables um, where, you know, I mentioned Malenko and, and Guerrero, you have those, you had, you had lucha matches with, with Mysterio and psychosis and there, you know, there were different kinds of matches. There, there was a different kind of match for every kind of wrestling fan. If you go back and yeah. look at a, a full ECW show. Yeah. I mean, I think it's potentially, it could have been the, the wrestling and, and, and re- realistic gritty promos promotion. If you're talking about what, what would work now, so if you could take AEW away, um, obviously ring of honor have had a decent amount of success but i don't think ring of honor have ever been in this kind of the front of people's minds like ecw were during that period in the mid 90s um so i I think maybe that maybe that's a kind of um area that they could have you you guys could have had success with if it it was later um what you were involved in both one night stand pay-per-views i believe weren't you um yes what what so tell me about the i know i know i've heard you talking interviews at the, the first one was just an absolutely fantastic time. And, and that's, I think that show, one of my friends flew over to, to um, New York for that. And that show is right up there with Ric Flair's WWE retirement as the two shows I kick myself every now and again about <laughs> not actually going to live, um, which is, yeah, I, I don't think I'll ever quite get over those. But t- tell me about the difference between, you know, that first one and, and the second one where, the aftermath of that was the was the weekly show on sci-fi was was there was it night and day between the two oh absolutely um you just felt like you were the second show you felt like you were on pins and needles that if you if you were to 
walk down the hallway and you were supposed to turn right and, and you turned left instead, you were going to get fired. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it was just that simple. And just, I, I didn't like, um, I don't know if the pressure was, was the right word or the tension or the atmosphere. Um, but it was a different, it was definitely a different ECW. It wasn't, wasn't your grandma's ECW. <laughs> no. Sorry, Jim, I should know this. Did you ref the Cena-Rob Van Dam match? No. 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 Yeah. Sorry, to think. So that was the second show, right? Yes, that second was, show. That was the main event okay. of the second show. So yeah. I, only, I only did one match on the second pay-per-view, and that was the um, Mike Awesome, um, uh, Masato... Was, I'm trying to think. Was it? I can't remember if that was the first or second. Now, yeah, they, I, they yeah, Mike Awesome and yeah. Mike Awesome and Tanaka was so was was it Tanaka was it Tanaka and Balls Mahoney the second show? Perhaps, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, that's that's the only one I did that that night. In fact, I got got them right here in front of me. Um, da, 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 da. Balls Mahoney, Masato, Tanaka. Yeah, that yeah, was all yeah. I did that night. The, the the show, the first one, I did um, Tanaka and and Mike Awesome, and I did um, Mysterio and Psychosis. Oh yeah, that was cracking, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, I tell you what, I didn't just just go on as, as an, off an aside. I, I really didn't like the end of that that second one night stand with the Heyman count. Um, I, I I just thought that was. I thought. If they weren't going to dispute the finish, I don't even remember this, but if they weren't going to dispute the finish, so Rob Van Dam was ECW and WWE champion coming out of that show. So they didn't dispute that. They didn't split the belts, which I which you could have understood with the with the kind of dispute finish. I just didn't really I'm not to not to um kind of question the creative genius of Vince McMahon and Paul Heyman, but I just thought if the referee I thought Paul Heyman counting those shoulders down. I thought you got a really muted reaction from the crowd because everyone smelled a screw job that they actually didn't it didn't end up getting. So if a referee had counted the shoulders down, I think the place would have gone just gone you know a hundred times more mad. But maybe that was a I don't know if that was a Vincism to try and protect Cena somewhat. I don't don't really know. I didn't really get it at the time and still yeah complex now. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure myself whether it was they were looking to protect Cena or whether they were looking to to boost Paul as the, you know, Messiah of ECW or, you know, if, if that, if they were trying to make Paul look like the, the ECW's version of Vince McMahon. Mm, yeah. I don't yeah. know, you know. Yeah, that's a point. I hadn't thought of that. Actually. That's, that's, that's probably the way they were going. What, what's your, on, on the subject point, what are your kind of lasting memories and thoughts? I mean, obviously he's, he's Back in the back in the wrestling business and has been for a long time with Brock and now sort of real lead creative driving force on on Raw. Uh, what are your sort of overriding thoughts and memories of Paul Heyman? I, I used to ride with Paul before he was in charge of ECW. I rode with him a few times, and, and he is that that mad genius. Um, always thinking of stuff, and, but also when we would drive. It really wasn't a lot of wrestling talk. Okay. There are times. There are times we we'd go from in the ECW days when he was running things, where he would would ride with me, and and his his personal assistant, uh, Debbie. We just the three of us. It would be talking about music or you know family or or something completely different, just goofing around, telling telling bad jokes, um, just to you know get that 
that break, that mental break. Okay, that's um, really interesting because I suppose his life was wrestling, as like you know, probably didn't sleep very much. So it's interesting to hear, no. him, yeah, <laughs> in, in those trips, yeah, yeah. No, he didn't. He didn't sleep much then. I don't know if he does now or not. <laughs> probably but, uh, not. One one thing at three a.m. or a thing. One thing that I remember is after ECW had shut down, I was doing a at the time it was internet radio uh, show. And uh, Van Dam was on, and he asked me a question. He said, "You know, if Paul were to call you today, what was the what would the first thing you would do?" And I said, "Call a divorce attorney," because <laughs> 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 I would probably say, "Yes, I'm on board." Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I, absolutely. Um, so I know you you stuck around for a few weeks after the sci-fi stuff, didn't you? Did you did, did you do some of the because they did some early tours in some traditional buildings, didn't they? And they all sort of started somewhat falling apart didn't it at that point right yeah the the story originally given to me from tommy dreamer who was in working in the wwe office at the time was yeah we're going to start ecw up again and we're going to run our own shows so um, between that and the pay-per-view um it turned into well we're going to film with smackdown but we're going to run our own shows yeah okay so they did this. Uh, the first one was Tuesday night after the, the second pay-per-view um, in Trenton, New Jersey at the arena, which was our area, ECW area, but it wasn't the building that we would have run in because we were obviously we were tied in with SmackDown. This is a, a 5,000 seat arena. Um, so that went okay. Um, then the next week was Albany, New York. And again, a, a maybe eight, 10,000 seat arena where the local hockey team plays. Um, and I got a match on that show. I did the first show. I, I was a referee on the outside for um, a battle Royal. Um, and then the second show was did a match between Sabu and little Guido. And in that time, the stories had changed. Well, we want you at every show. And then it became, we want you to every show that you can get to. And then it went to, we'll call you when we need you. Um, and the next shows were in Philadelphia. There was a, one at the the Wells Fargo Center, as it's called now, the big arena, 20, uh, I don't know, 20,000 seat arena. Um, and they were also doing a show at the ECW arena. And um, I'm not one, I've never been one to beg for work. And I never called Tommy and I never, I never called anybody about either show and mm -hmm. I never heard from anyone. So I didn't go over to the buildings. It's, like I said, it's, to show up is, is not my style and, and beg for work or hope they, they pick me for, yeah. for something. Um, and then the next show, the next TV was down in West Virginia, which is quite a drive. Mm. And, um, I have a business outside of wrestling and I was making just as much money doing that as I was with uh, a new ECW. There were, there were no contracts signed. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I stayed home and I never went back. I said, it's just, I, they're not going to take me. I don't have the TV look that they're, they're looking for. Uh, I'm older. I'm, I'm fatter. I'm balder. It's not what they're looking for in the way of a referee. If you if, and look at the referees they have now, um, so I just said yeah, they're not going to want me, and I'm not going to 
keep trying to beg for work and just never went back. No, and I think actually um, it felt as a fan. Like, I remember those early those, those early ECW shows at the SmackDown tapes where they'd have the little walkway entrance off to the sides. They didn't show the right. screen that was just there. I, I, I think in a way it might you might have been better off out of it at that point because it, I think that. Um, for for me, and I'm sure there's people that, that that would have seen all of the ECW stuff in in the area that you are, loads of shows and stuff. I was I, I was an ECW fan. I went back and bought the VHS tapes and watched the pay per views, etc. But I just felt, oh, this is this is horrible. This is like watching something that you you loved kind of die. And I think that for, for, for you being there, I thought I'd imagine that would have been painful. Is it just got less and less and less and less, and it became right. just just. It, I mean, it was a bit of a disgrace to even be able to use the initials. Um, I mean, they eventually stumbled across NXT, and I think that was what they kind of envisioned ECW at the, the latter point of that show being. Right. And, and they made, yeah. made, a, made, a, made a go at it, but it was, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Do you think they should have? Do you think they should have just kept after the one, the first one night stand, and, and left it there? Do you think, in, in retrospect? Yeah, I think so. I, I, if anything, I would have done something one more time, maybe for for the local fans, the Philadelphia. So, real ECW fans, whether it was at the arena or whether at some other small venue. Um, but I, I don't think that's the only I think regret that I have for the company is that I don't think there was really ever a, a real farewell to, yeah. and, and thank you to the fans that, that were local. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that everyone's, everyone's got the memories up now. And those, those are things that as much as WWE can, Sort of, I'm sure they did del- didn't deliberately tarnish, try and tarnish it, but they certainly kind of did in, in a way with the way they promoted the shows. But the actual real memories for those for those fans that experienced that incredible time and sort of revolutionary time in wrestling will never go away. I'm going to we have a chat at the end after we've after we've talked about the um, episode about what you're up to um, now. It's really interested in hearing about the promotion and the school. And um, before we move on to Mid South, um, one other question. I'm really interested. What what's your what's your viewing looking like at the moment? Are, are you are you watching much current stuff, or is it, or is it mainly the kind of classic res- wrestling these days? It's definitely classic wrestling, um, but I do watch some of the the newer stuff. I, I really don't go out of my way to watch Raw or, yeah. or SmackDown, um, just because I, I just don't have the time for it. Um, Who does? I, I mean, that's the thing. I, I don't understand how this is. We were talking about talking this with a um, guest host uh, for last week's episode. I, I do wonder about WWE. All, all this, this five hours a week. When I, I mean, I, when I was a kid, we had superstars on Saturday and wrestling challenge on Sunday. And with the breaks, probably forty-five minutes, and you were, you were desperate for more at the end of it. And four pay per right. views a year. How how do you get a new fan when you're promoting? Five, I mean, if you include NXT, you're six hours of original programming. Uh, sorry. Uh, seven hours of original programming per week i mean it's crazy i've i've pretty much given up on wwe um which is it's a, i used to travel all i've been to 12 wrestlemanias traveling from the uk so i mean it was you know save all year for these things it was like the absolute highlight of the year especially in my younger 20s and now nearly 40 now but I, it's just i just can't i can't do it there's, there's just too much to life to sat, sit through some of these i understand raw's got a bit better this year but it's just I can't sit for those those three hours of, right. of promo. Yeah, it's it, like no human speaks. Yeah, with, with WWE programming, and uh, I guess maybe if you package it all together, it's almost to the point where, where, like you said, it used to be when you were it was forty five minute show. You were like, oh, I can't wait till next week. Yes. and now it's like I can't wait till this is over. I can go to bed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, crikey! I tell you what, the, the worst one. I went to WrestleMania last year in New York. 
Um, and it was, I don't know what time we got into that stadium, um, but maybe 5.30 and we pulled about, we probably missed the first half an hour. I think the, the women's main event finished at half midnight um, and we luckily bought, um, we luckily prepaid for taxis to come and pick us up and take us back to Manhattan. <laughs> um, and the next morning we, we, we headed over to Brooklyn for Raw and we checked into another hotel and there were people, it was, it was a thing on the local news about people stuck outside metal, metal right. stadium until 4am in the pouring rain. It's just like, you couldn't make it up, but they hadn't told the local tra- like the transport authority or whatever it was in in, uh, in New Jersey that they were planning on going late. I mean, who wants to watch wrestling for six and a half hours? I mean, it's just like, exactly. it's just too much. Yeah, yeah, I, I just can't do it. But no. as far as the, the newer product, I mean, I'll, I'll go in and out of NXT and, and AEW. Um, mm. The only one I really kind of go out of my way, and I've kind of slowed down lately uh, with it, is the NWA online show. Uh, uh, yeah. I've been watching that. Um, I, I like the way they do that. I've heard great things, but I really need to go back and um, and and start those. But I, I, I watch AEW every week. I've got a bit of a there's a bit of a vested interest in that one because I'm a, I'm a Fulham football fan here, and it's the same family that owns our football club. Okay, owns AEW. So it's a really it's a really strange. Like Tony Khan, who's, who's basically Vincent Mann in AEW, will, will post it on Instagram about Fulham signing some. And we're not even in the Premier League, we're like second tier. Um, and then you'll get, like, you'll look at the likes and be like, Chris Jericho's like this, Stone Cold Steve Austin's like this. Like, really? Like, how is this How is this a thing? It's so bizarre. But anyway, so um, we talked, we touched on Mid-South earlier on. So you, you've gone back and watched quite a bit of the sort of Mid-South product. Um, so yeah. was, this, was, this, was this time span something you were, you were sort of familiar with already? Yes, yes. Yeah. So so we are looking at episode 233, which was um, February 25th, 1984 this week. Um, and first up, we've got Jim Ross and Boyd Pierce at the desk. Um, and the first thing I noticed is that Boyd is upping the stakes again with his suit. Um, so he's wearing a multicolored masterpiece um, that resembles, I don't know, a licorice all sorts of thing in the States? No, he, he was the only one who did that. <laughs> I, oh, I think, was okay, yeah. <laughs> I, for some reason, I, I always think... <laughs> that his, his wife must have been a fan of the sound of music and made his suits out of the drapes. It was just <laughs> like when incredible. she made the, suit, made the play, play clothes for the kids out of the drapes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, I, I've done a, like a fashionometer thing for Boyd Pierce, and, and there was a couple of weeks ago where he had a, this purple suit on. I just thought you, you, you couldn't possibly get better than that. And I, I likened it to when Dave Meltzer gave um, that, the, the New Japan match six stars but this one actually is the match for me, the one where he gave him six and a half because it's just a for me twelve out of ten on the fashion obviously You really can't get a suit better than this. Um, <laughs> Boyd runs through the upcoming action this week, which includes the fourth round of the TV tournament, um, and then they replay the Sweet Dreams um, Magnum TA video that appeared a couple of weeks ago. Um, so Jim, talk to us about this video package and were you a fan of the Eurythmics back in the day? <laughs> Um, no, actually, I prefer the Marilyn Manson version of uh, Sweet Dreams. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it, it was. It must have been. If you go back and watch not just this episode, but all the other episodes, it, it it's like you know this this is the Joel Watts's favorite song of the week. Mm. <laughs> whether it's whether it's that or Sharp Dressed Man or Born in the USA. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> These packages are just just incredible. I mean, there's a bit in this one. Where I think Magnum TA goes from kissing one woman quite aggressively to kissing another one. It's, it's probably a little bit different in 2020. But I mean, this stuff, this stuff was just. I mean, Magnum. I, I've seen bits and pieces of him, but he was just absolutely 
just a start and just get your thoughts on this so i had a discussion a few weeks about about him um and how he was actually a couple i think he was two or three years younger than the ultimate warrior um and whether actually if things had worked out he didn't have didn't have the accident um would he could he have been the difference in jim crockett promotions or would vince have got have gone for him and could that could he have been the person that actually the hogan torch was passed to rather than the warrior because I, I this guy had the look he had the promos he had he was so good in ring i just it just radiate star basically yeah i I think either scenario would have worked for magnum i I think he would have been able to to elevate jim crockett promotions to at least sustain for for longer than they did before they sold the tbs um but i can also see him as you know the the torch being passed on from from hogan like instead of the lex express it, it could have been magnum yeah, Magnum was still been around. I mean, Magnum would have, would have been probably around the Lex Luger time. Magnum would only have been forty. So, I mean, he, you know, for a lot of wrestlers, that's absolutely prime years. So, yeah, it's re- it's re- really sad, really. But he he was great on this um, on this episode and, and all the episodes we've seen so far. So, so after the video, Boyd sends us down to the ring where Jim Ross is sat with the North American champion Junkyard Dog, the number one contender Magnum TA. Grizzly Smith and Mr. Wrestling 2 is lurking in the background in his suit and customary mask for the contract signing for the future Mid-South um, North American title match. Um, so Jim Ross says this thing doesn't usually happen as the wrestlers involved usually have too much animosity. Um, did you notice Mr. Wrestling 2 um, in the background here? Because um, he, was, he was, I mean, he, it's obviously difficult to do facials when you've got a mask on, but he was really sort of hamming this up brilliantly around hands on hips, pacing backs and forwards, and just generally being pretty disgusted with what was being presented here. Yeah, absolutely. You could see the aggravation building him in yeah. him with, with the pacing and, and, you know, just not being able to stand still. And, and you know, someone that would have been, I guess, considered a, a coach or a mentor would have been, you know, like patting Magnum on the back and, and getting the people to cheer for Magnum or whatever. And, and that wasn't happening. And you just, uh-huh. You could just feel the the moment coming for him to explode. They've done this so well because right at the beginning of this angle, which is probably so, this is mid February now, and this I think it started in around October, November. And um, Mr. S and Two was quite quite harsh in Magnum at the start, um, so you could kind of see it, see the seeds being planted there. But then they diverted away from that feud with the Midnight Express and and Mr. Wrestling Two. There was no nothing heelish at all. It was very up and the up and up. Then all of a sudden they started it again. Um, so basically here, um, Magnum T.A. signs a contract and then uh, Jim Ross asks Junkyard Dog for his thoughts. He says that Magnum is the number one contender and the belt means a lot to him. Um, he knows he'll be able to get into the ring, get a fair shake, and he's happy to be giving him the opportunity. Um, and he adds that the belt represents everyone in the Mid-South area and he stresses again that it means a lot to him. Um, T.A. says that he thanks Dog very much for the chance and he says he knows he's been a great champion and someone that people can look up to. Um, he knows it'll be a clean match and both men will give it their all. Um, Ross then goes up, goes over the comments two made last week and asks him if he's changed his mind. Um, I just thought this was brilliant. So two says no, he hasn't. First of all, Joe Idea is sitting there with a grin because he knows TA can can um, he knows he can beat TA, um, but he knows that Mr. Wrestling Two could beat um, Junkyard Dog for the title. Um, two adds again that JYD knows he can beat him. The crowd react negatively. He says, "I thought, the, what did you think of the crowd here? I thought they were really into this segment." Yeah, they were. I, you know, it was funny the way two was like. You know, I thought that's all he was going to say was no. And I was, you know, I, I was, I don't know if it would have been 
better or not. But if you just said no and walked out, yeah, <laughs> you know, I would have liked to have seen the crowd reaction to that. But the crowd was crowd was really good there. Yeah, they really were. So, so JYD says he's going to step away um, and let him dream on in, in response to two saying that he thinks he could beat him. Um, two, two then says that he will challenge JYD to a title match. And if he doesn't win, he'll take his mask off and he'll leave Mid-South. And when he wins, JYD won't have any excuses and he won't be able to cry on TV about it. Um, JYD says that it will give two the opportunity, but two accuses, of be- accuses him of being a liar. Jim Ross then tries to get things back on track and asks two for comment on TA. Two says he made Magnum the man he is today, but accused him of being stupid and a punk. And that's why he lost the North American title in the first place. He gave him the intestinal fortitude and clear mind, and he should have the, he should have the opportunity first. Um, this next bit of Magnum is so good. So Magnum says he does appreciate Two everything he's done for him. But if there wasn't anything there in the first place, he wouldn't have had anything to work with. The crowd reacted massively to this. Magnum then says, talk about clear thinking, and says that Two clearly isn't thinking straight and that he's making a real ass out of himself. And the crowd reacts big to this, and then two slaps <laughs> TA. So did you did you think this was the full-on turn happening here, or, or that things would calm down? Because I, I thought they might go at it, go at it at this point. Yeah, no, I th- I thought uh, I had seen this before, but not for for a while, and and I thought they did go at it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, you know, they they're really good at at the build. Yeah, or yeah. Whether it, whether it's I guess it was was trying to think who the booker was at the time. Was was it Ernie Ladd? I don't, I don't know. So I, I don't know how much how much um, Bill Watts w- was involved in this, or, or whether right. it was, a, so yeah, whether it was Watts a, and Ladd, or I don't think Dundee was there. Um, mm. But so yeah, the, you know, a lot of this goes on on the Booker saying let's let's hold off, let let's build, let's keep building, let's make that pressure cooker get, you know, t- hotter and hotter and hotter, and then we'll let then it'll explode. Yeah, and that, and they did a, they did a really good job with this because they. Um, Basically, after that, two says that um, JYD is showing what sort of champion he is, and he leaves the ring as a crowd chance for the champion. Um, and the segment ends with TA saying that he's the only person who will let slap him and walk away from it because of everything that Mr. Wrestling 2 has done for him. Um, he then says, all oh, this isn't worth it, and he tears the contract up. So they, they've kept this going um, by having Magnum basically say, look, the match is important to me, but not as important as my friendship with Mr. Wrestling 2. Um, and Grizzly Smith then says he's going to have to discuss the situation with the board of directors. Um, so we're, we're almost there with a full heel turn from two. Um, but Magnum destroying the contract, I thought, was just a really lovely twist to keep the, keep the storyline going. Yeah, I mean, you have to also look at the relationship that they, they set up between two and Magnum. Almost, if you want to compare it to anything in the movies, look at, at Rocky and, and his trainer, Mickey. Yes. You know, that, that's, yeah. what they were, that's what they were trying to go for there. And can you imagine Mickey... You know, finally, like smacking Rocky and and going. Oh, you know, I, I don't you know? want to imagine that. Yeah, I, I just, yeah. <laughs> Rocky's one of my. I guess Rocky must be a big thing for for people sort of growing up around the Philadelphia area. I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We, you know, watching the movies now, you know, we'll still stop and watch them whenever they're on, and go, oh yeah, I know that neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. I mean, I think I think for most most people, Rocky, I like like. Right up there, one of my favorite films, and the, and the Rocky Balboa film is the only film I've ever seen in the cinema twice. I think I cried both times actually. The stuff with Adrian in that was uh, is quite heart wrenching with her not being around anymore. Did, did you have you seen the Creed ones? Well, I thought they were the first one particularly was really good. I thought. Yeah, we I saw Creed in the theater. That that was yeah. really good in the theater. Um, and and saw the second one too. Yeah, I, I like the I like where they're going with them. Yeah, they're really really good. 
Um, so back to the show, um, we have Joe Savoldi and George Weingoff in ring, um, and it's over to Jim Cornette on the mic. Um, he says that two had proven his point and that T.A. was a chicken and a coward because if someone slapped him like that, he would have broken every bone in his body, um, <laughs> which I think was, was deliberately amusing. Um, he also targets, so, so Cornette has got a bit of a few going on with Bill, Bill Watts here and he targets him again. Um, and he says it must be nice to have some honest com- honest commentary. Um, he then announces the Midnight Express. Um, this week, sadly, not in matching robes. Um, so Jim Ross and commentary says he's in a state of shock after the situation with Mr. Wrestling 2 and Magnum TA. Um, and then Conjury and Weingoff are looking great at the start of this one. Um, ju- just uh, give, me, give us some thoughts on the Midnight Express here, Jim, because they, they, they really, again, like we said earlier on about the Eddie Guerrero Dean Malenko match being lifted out 25, 26 years ago, I think you could lift this one out sort of 35, 30, these guys 35, 36 years on and just put them anywhere and they'd still be just as great. Yeah, yeah. Any any combination of, of uh, Bobby Eaton. Dennis Condry or, or Bob Eaton and, and Stan Lane. I can watch them in the Express day and night, um, particularly against, not, not surprisingly, not the Rock and Roll Express. I love their matches against the Fantastics. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I really uh, want to find some, because this is, this is maybe, I really want to find some long, long four matches with these guys from around this sort of time, because I, I don't think the Superdome shows are available anywhere. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure there's probably some tape within sort of two or three years of this. But like a Midnight Express, fantastic 15 minute match or same for Rock and Roll Express. So that's probably on the on the hunt on YouTube at some point. Yeah, soon. yeah definitely. Um, so Conjury wins this one with a huge looking and great looking power slam off the ropes in 226. Um, and next up, we have Steve Brinson, who I thought looked a little bit like a, a young jet. Crikey, get my words out. A young Glenn Jacobs against Nikolai Volkov. Um, so I've got a theory here, Jim, I'm interested in getting your view on. So the song that Nikolai sings is not the same as the one he sang in the WWF. So do you think that Vince McMahon said to him that if he's going to do that gimmick in, on his show, he's actually got to learn the Russian national anthem? <laughs> well, I, yeah. Well, he was doing this. This was before he was doing it on WWF television. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know which one is is correct and which one isn't. Um, well, I, I think it must be the. Well, I don't know. Maybe yeah, it could be the other way around. But I think he's he's on this show. Well, I think even week to week he's not singing the same thing. I think <laughs> Probably they're, they're not. Just, yeah, I think just said to him because he wasn't Russian, Nikolai. Was it? I think was he Bulgarian or something? something no, I like think I, I, if I remember reading right in the Fred Blassie um, biography that um, he was. Yugoslavian. Yugoslavian, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's and exactly and right. the, the the Russians had invaded or, or taken over Yugoslavia and turned it communist. Communist. Yeah. And he had already been out of there and was approached about doing a Russian gimmick because before that he he didn't. Um, and he refused to. He said, "No, no, I hate Russia. I will not do it." Um, and Freddie Blassie apparently went to him and he said, "Listen." If you hate them so much, um, what's a better way to get back at them than making money off of them, being yes. a capitalist on top of their communism? And that, that's what um, made him said, yes, you're right. And, and so he, he had done, you know, went on and do, done the Russian gimmick. I mean, I think that's a, what, what, yeah, absolutely. What, what better way to to to, to do something than to play the part on on TV? Um, 
I thought Volkov looked so so like, really brutally stiff in his offense, and 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 this finisher that he's got, um, which is kind of like a half gorilla press into a backbreaker. He it's so like the guy nearly fell on his head here, um, and right. this seems to be a theme. I mean, this this Brinson guy was I don't know who, who this guy was, but I don't know if you if, you, if you'd heard of him, um, but he was a big old big old chap, and um, Volkov drops him down, and, and I mean he he just he he just looks every part of the gimmick, doesn't he, in terms of sort of Russian strongman and like really. Tough guy, basically. Yeah. Well, you also have to remember at the time <laughs> when things like that would happen um, in, in the wrestling business, it was you go in the back and you go, sorry. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, everything's so laid out now. Um, but in there, you would also, before you went in the ring, would go, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, might actually. I'll tell you what, him, him, Volkov and Kasha Darso will see later on their tag, tag partners at the moment. Uh, Darso looks, um, looks brilliant as well. He, I think I, I've been really, really impressed. I mean, obviously, him and Axe were great in demolition year, in years later. But right. yeah, some of, the, some of the forearms and the shots, crikey, it's, uh, I'm sure the, the guys are feeling those. But I suppose that's what part and parcel of some of these sort of enhancement matches were, really, weren't they? I mean, I, I know the story about the British Bulldogs in there with, with Mick Foley years ago on an um, early WF tape, and they, they were pretty brutal in there with him. But I suppose, I guess that's part and parcel of these these matches. You know, three minutes, go out there and get all your stuff in, and, and that's kind of it, really, isn't it? Right. Well, you also have to remember that, I, I don't know if it happened in every territory, but I know that it happened in... In mid south with with Bill Watts, those guys didn't get paid for doing TV. He looked. Oh he yes, told, yeah. You know this this is an advertisement for you to to be able to get the people to find a way to get the people to come out and see you at you know the larger buildings. So go out there and and give the people a reason to come back, whether it's to boo you or to cheer you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so next up, we've got our very first mixed tag match in Mid-South Moments history. Um, Buddy Landell and Wendy Richter, who 13 months later would be a big part of the first WrestleMania. Um, they are up against Princess Victoria, um, who would later be one half the first ever WWF Women's Tag Team Champions, alongside Velvet McIntyre, who I don't believe is any relation to Drew McIntyre, who's challenging for the WWE title at WrestleMania. Um, and leaping Lanny Poffo was also in this one. Lanny Poffo was has, had been really. I don't know if you remember this from watching, but he he was really pushed um, probably till maybe a month before this. But it seems to have grown support. Even actually, Randy Savage popped up in a video package um, a little while ago. But it seemed, I mean, very very talented guy. But it's, it, it seems to have grown to a halt here. Any sort of uh, memories of Lanny Poffo? Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Whether he was going back to. Um... I, ICW, which was his father's promotion, or whether he was moving on to to another promotion, but yeah, it seemed to grind to a halt with, with him. They were they were pushing him pretty good. Um, yeah, they were. But I also around the same time, or around the same time, I think Brad Armstrong was coming in. So maybe okay. they were looking at replacing Brad with with um, or replacing Lanny with with Brad. I think he was coming yeah. in. It's weird. I mean, he he sort of hitting moonsaults and things here, and it's it's like, I mean, that's pretty revolutionary stuff in sort of early '84. Yes. Um, I, I thought this was pretty good fun actually. I mean, it ends with Buddy Landell despicably forearming Victoria right in the face with the ref's back turned. Um, and in spite of Poffo's protestations, Richter makes the pin in three nineteen. What, what did you think of this uh, short mixed tag match? I like it. I, I love anything Buddy Landell does. I'm a huge fan. Um, yeah. Got the opportunity to work with him when I first started out at Tri-State Wrestling Alliance. Oh, fantastic! Uh, he was he was the champion. In fact, they were building to 
a show that never happened. Um, it was going to be the Battle of the Nature Boys. It was going to be Buddy Landell against Buddy Rogers, 72-year-old Buddy Rogers. Oh, wow. Okay, because I know, did, did Landell have a feud with Ric Flair um, a bit before this as well? I know, yeah, a little, a little bit in, in Mid-Atlantic. Mid, uh, mid yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, how, in, how interesting. So, yeah, so Buddy Rogers, what was it, what, why did that not happen in the end? That... Uh, the promotion shut down. It was Tri-State, and oh, the promotion okay, shut okay. down before before the mat before the show happened oh what a shame so was he still did you get to get to meet him was he still in sort of good good nick at that point in his, his life but because i know he had some health problems around the time he lost the title to san martino didn't he but i guess to be trying trying to come out come back at that age i mean that that's pretty good guy yeah. The, yeah the town i grew up in buddy rogers lived in the next town over so i used to see him when i was a kid like and come walking into stores or whatever oh, and wow. um but and so when when Goodhart brought him in, um, he knew that I was right in the area that that Buddy was from, and Buddy wanted to stay in um, in a hotel near uh, near that area because family could come over and visit and everything. And he so I Goodhart calls me and he says, "Do you mind driving Buddy Rogers?" I'm like, "Absolutely not." <laughs> um, so I had the opportunity to drive with him quite a bit. Oh, that's so, great! I bet he had some some cracking stories. Yeah, he was, he was, I mean, we, I don't think we paid for anything the whole time I was with him, oh, well, <laughs> you know, yeah. he, he, you know, he'd still walk into a place and be like, champ, come on, it's on me. Yeah, that's fantastic. What, what a guy. And um, so next up, we have the fourth week of the TV title tournament and it's the battle of the former tag team champions, Hacksaw Butch Reed and Jim the Apple Nightheart. Um, and at, after the break, it cuts straight to Reed attacking Apple at the bell. Um, so far start by both men as Ross stresses how much um, both men now hate each other. Um, I just thought Jim Ross was so good in commentary here, um, just stressing how big of a match and how important it was. Um, what, what did you think of this one? This was a great hard-hitting match. This was yeah. this was a Bill Watts top 10 match, probably. <laughs> That's yeah. the kind of match he likes. Um, Butch Reed, you know, not knowing ahead into the future that, that um, Junkyard Dog was going to leave, but Butch Reed probably should have moved right into that position of being the number one African-American wrestler in the company. Um, because they were, he was such, you know, draw dog was such a draw for them. And when he left, they lost a lot of business uh, and they tried so hard to replace him. And I think Butch really, if he had stuck around and, and worked at it, uh, I think he could have been a great replacement. It's it's interesting because I I've seen a bit of Reed and WF, but he he was really I thought he was really, really great here. When they first split, when um, Nightheart and Reed first split, for about two weeks on TV, um, uh, Boy Pierce and Bill Watts were being quite positive about both men. Almost I don't know whether they hadn't quite decided which, which one was going in which direction. Um, yeah, I, then, th I think they, I, I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that, but then they end, ended up breaking Nightheart off off to the babyface role. But yeah, I thought this was great. So um, they both kick out of each other's finisher here, um, and then Reed gets what looks like brass knucks out of his trunks and smashes Nightheart in the throat for the win in, in four thirty two. I thought the crowd was into this. Jim Ross was just phenomenal on college. I'm not sure um, for my era, there's anyone has been anyone better, and certainly in terms of just making you feel that what you're watching is like the most important thing. This is a match from February 1994 and I'm like, and it's four and a half minutes and I enjoyed every single second of it. And I think a lot of that was obviously the guys in the ring, but Jim Ross was just so good in commentary. Yeah. You, you need an announcer to, to convey the story and, yeah. and Jim does a great job at it. 
Yeah, he, he's great. Um, so Tom Lentz and Jerry Gray. Um, Jerry Gray, I think, is a little bit like a cross between Lex Luger and Greg the Hammer Valentine. Greg the Hammer Valentine, I don't know if you spotted that at all. Um, but a very 80s look for Mr. Gray in this one. Um, he's up. They're up against the Rock and Roll Express, um, and they get a nice reaction coming out to their ELO theme, Rock and Roll is King. So, Jim, were you a fan of Electric Light Orchestra back in the day? <laughs> um, yeah, actually, um, because I love the, the El Dorado album. So go listen to that. Uh, I, I'm sure that a little bit before. I was born in '81, so these the, I was alive. But these guys, I, I don't know much about ELO, unfortunately. I think my sister's husband, my brother-in-law, is a big fan. But I, yeah, perhaps <laughs> I need to need to have, have a have a play of the back catalogue there. Um, so I thought this one was great. It's really really great, fast-paced action. Um, and the Express win the double drop kick in 142, um, and they go out to break with their Rock and Rollers King theme blaring out. They've had a couple of um, really fantastic video packages on these guys over the last few weeks where it's all just sort of them posing and standing by jukeboxes and in fast cars and this sort of stuff. It's just, uh, yeah, I, I think Mid-South had a real... It's something that's a bit missing, really, these days. In I think the, the two things, certainly WWE when I was still watching it, the sort of more character pieces and, and some stuff like this to just to... Because pro, like promo match, promo match can be a bit, I think, right. um, tedious in it after a while, really. Also, a lot of these videos uh, earlier, I, I blamed Joel Watts, but a lot of those videos um, came with uh, the the wrestler or or the tag team from a previous territory, mainly Memphis. So yes, a lot the, of the, the, the rock and roll, yeah, yeah, a lot of the rock yeah. and roll express that one, especially I think was the Memphis one. Uh, the one that I always think of is, you know, remember the the video you would see that was an introduction of Kamala, Kamala, the Ugandan giant. You would yeah. see him, you know, in the weeds or whatever that was done in Memphis. And he just took it with him wherever he went and said, you know, play this two weeks before I show up. So we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, actually, on the, on the show. Do you think they had the because all these territories, are, I guess they had a bit of a relationship back then do you think they were they were using memphis tapes with memphis permission or back then it just doesn't really matter it's on tape here's a tape play the tape because obviously that was the way they worked it with the music yeah no i I think they you know the not the the territory that they were going to but the the wrestler probably got permission from from memphis hey can we use the video yeah um you know especially if they were going there there was a good relationship business relationship between memphis and and mid-south so they had no problem because they would trade talent back and forth either way. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if they did a, a video of, of the Fantastics in, in Mid-South, they would take it with them to when they went to Memphis and, and you know, the rock and roll would bring it from Memphis to Mid-South. Yeah, that makes that makes complete sense. So last up, um, in-ring-wise, we have Crusher Darso. Uh, I don't know if you noticed his, his T-shirt, but he's got a blue T-shirt with I Love Russia and Prince on the on the on the front, and it always makes me laugh. This because I wonder if he had to go somewhere in Shreveport, Louisiana, um, and have this printed, or or may probably got someone in Mid South office to, to get this done. So oh, I'm sure there there were you could go to a T-shirt place in in the local mall and and get anything printed. So yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's what he did. <laughs> the poor person happened to happened to ask for that during the height of sort of Russian and US um, <laughs> difficulty, shall we say. So Kosha Darso versus Mike Jackson. Um, there's an, I, I, I've, everything I've seen of Darso I thought was really, really good. Um, so as a 
Jackson evades Darso at the start, and there's a little bit of commotion in the background as Terry Taylor makes his way to the commentary booth. Um, they cut to Taylor standing with the Rock and Roll Express, and they all hit the ring and start painting Darso in red paint with the crowd chanting USA, USA in the background. Um, eventually, Volkov makes the save and the babyface is scattered. Um, the crowd loved this, but I just felt, thought it felt very backward in terms of a sort of sneak attack during the match by, by the good guys. What did you think of this one? Well, you also have to remember what had Darso been sneak attacking um, Terry Taylor. Yes. Previously, yeah. so you know, hey, if he's going to do it, I, you know, fool me once, shame on shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. Is is the thought between the, in in this theory? So you know, he's going to take things in his own hands and 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 get things going. Yeah, I mean, good luck. I mean, the crowd absolutely loved this. I, I can't, I, you know, I can't criticize it really too much. It just, I, it just didn't feel very babyface. But that being said, it's the sort of thing that's like a your sort of attitude era babyfaces would have done. So, so perhaps there's, there's an element of that that sort of thing working back there. Um, so after that, Jim Ross says there's not a better time to cut back to a piece on Terry Taylor and re the music video set to Freeze Fame by the Jay Giles Band. Um, yes. Were you a fan of this lot, Jim? Jay Giles Band is a great band. They're, uh, this is, uh, I'm not a fan of, uh, I, I mean, I can't say that. Uh, their, their later stuff is good, but their earlier stuff is more of a blues thing. Um, right. And I really like that the earlier stuff. Yeah, I feel, I feel like I've just quoted a line from, uh, from American Psycho. <laughs> it's, I like Huey Lewis in the news, but his earlier stuff was much punkier. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because I've only heard of this lot from, I don't even remember the film, um, The Wedding Singer, that was set in the Aces of Adam Sandler. I think one of their songs was on the on the soundtrack to this. But um, okay. yeah, I, I thought this was a really interesting piece. I, I saw a couple of weeks ago, and just another classic. Um, Mid South. While, while we're on the subject of wrestling, actually, uh, sorry, music, actually, I, I, I heard an interview where you, I think you described ECW as the Nirvana of wrestling. So I wondered if you were a fan of sort of Kurt, Chris, and, and Dave back in the back in the early nineties. <laughs> I wasn't. I actually feel like Nirvana killed my my favorite type of of music, which was heavy oh, metal. Oh, you the rock just before that, then, in terms yeah. of all kind of yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm the I'm, I'm the here here's my here's my tip of the hat to to um, British music. Um, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. American music is for me Blue Oyster Cult. I've been going to see Blue Oyster Cult, who here in the U.S. I don't know how they they did in Europe or in, in England, but they only had like three hits here. But I've been going to see them since I was a sophomore in high school, and okay. my buddy, my buddies, and I still get together every once in a while and, and go see them when they come through the area. Oh, that's that's great. That's great. Oh, I, I really thought you we were going to have a, a Nirvana chat, then, because I thought you thought that. Uh, yeah, that, I was of the age where I, that was the kind of first proper band that I was into. But unfortunately, it was kind of one of those things where Kurt Cobain passed away, and then all of a sudden they became really popular in my school. So I wasn't quite old. Enough. I, I was old enough, but not really into it when when he was around. Sadly, but yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. not a huge grunge fan. Um, my my wife surprisingly will will tell you that she's a. Um, a Pearl Jam fan, and I'm I'm just like, oh no, not another Pearl Jam song. <laughs> oh yeah, like, I I I've listened to a bit of Pearl Jam, but I I kind of gravitated away from that type of music after Nirvana, sadly. But um, yeah, no, I still, I'm still a fan fan to these days. Uh, so after the video package, um, it cuts back to Ross and Taylor and the Rock and Roll Express, and Taylor said that he painted USSR on Darso, and he added insult to injury, and he's sick of the Russians coming through the states. That's like they're in the place. Um, Ross quickly goes over what happened in the open segment with Mr. Wrestling 2 and Magnum TA. Um, they showed the brilliant cardboard bracket for the TV title tournament, um, which is <laughs> just fantastic. Spare no expense. 
Oh, I know. I just think they, they would have had a, like an ask around like, who's got good handwriting and who can put this card together for us. So it's, it's just great. Um, and next week, we've got Magnum T.A. versus Crusher Darcy. So it'll be really interesting to see what they do with that. Um, yeah, I thought this was really shy. I, I really enjoyed the angle at the start. Um, I, the Nightheart rematch was really good. Um, and also the mixed tag was really good fun. What, what, did, what did you think overall of, the, of this week's Mid-South episode, Jim? Yeah, I think it really propelled the the storyline between Magnum and, and wrestling too. Um, also in, include um, the Midnight Express in that because they're vying for the tag titles. Yes. Uh, you know, so uh, yeah, I, I think it really propelled that, that storyline more than anything else. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you can, you can kind of get a sense of where this is going. Um, so before we sign off, um, Jim, tell it, tell everyone what you're, what you're up to now um, with the promotion and the, and the wrestling school as well. Well, first of all, there's no school. Ah, sorry. <laughs> um, okay. I, I stopped that a couple of years ago. Oh, I'm um, sorry. I'm out of date. That's okay. Research. Apologies, Jim. That's all right. You could, you, there, there's stuff on the internet from, from years ago. I still have people calling me about doing kids' birthday parties, and that's been off our website for a couple of years. Okay. So I, they, you I don't can find so anything. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's called Old Time Wrestling. Uh, our website is oldtimewrestling.net, and it's old without an E, um, just O-L-D, yeah. um, and it's all one word, oldtimewrestling.net, and we do uh, shows in the, the South Jersey area, which is outside of Philadelphia, so anywhere to a half hour to 45 minutes outside of Philadelphia. Um, we, we did used to have a school, um, like I said, gave that up, um, just uh, tired of being the only adult in the room worrying about the rent being paid for the building and everything. Yeah, sure. uh, and yeah. at the time we were, as a school, we were able to run shows every week, uh, cause we were in a, a stand, we we're in our own building. So we had the ring set up permanently and we'd run shows every week. Um, but now I've kind of slowed down a little bit. Um, uh, had my partner moved back to Canada um, the trainer that I was using has moved on to uh, working with Ring of Honor. So check out uh, the Mecca, Brian Johnson, very good wrestler. Um, okay. Okay. And um, so it was time to move on and do something different. So now we, we set up shows in a couple of different places. We, we do eight to ten shows a year. And, you know, we'll work with charities and whatnot. We, we do, we've done a show. We've done four shows in the uh, past few years for um, a, a local college, Stockton University, outside of Atlantic City, um, for their veterans uh, student organization, student veterans organization, uh, and they help um, place um, students uh, that are veterans in, in in work environments, and and it's it's a really good uh, organization to work with. They're great guys, and we hope to go back with them next year. Um, but. You know, I, I'm willing to shut down the company at any time. I've been doing this for a long time. Um, so, yeah, we're going to keep going with our shows. We have a show um, next Saturday night, the 22nd of February in Millville, New Jersey, at a place called the Phenom Factory. And it's uh, uh, their batting cages uh, for you baseball fans. Oh, yeah. And just move the nets out of the way, and we set the ring up, and we go. Uh, we also run um, a, a place in Lindenwald, New Jersey at the Moose Lodge for those of you who are eternal were of the moose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we were, so we just run local shows. We use local guys. A lot of the guys that I, I were involved with the training of OTW, um, still 
help out and we'll bring some people in every once in a while and, and help some other young guys that are trying to work their way up the ladder. That's great. I, I can't encourage uh, people enough to go to um, try and support local promotions because not only is not only are some of these shows some of the funniest shows you can you can go to, um, but you never know who you, who you're going to see. Like one example for me was that I there's a there's a, there's a promotion here in in London or the UK called Revolution Pro Wrestling. Now they've got really strong links to um, New Japan Pro Wrestling. But I remember maybe five or six years ago seeing a very young Will Osprey. Um, uh, he was, uh, and I can say this because I'm, I'm a skinny guy myself. But he, he was quite a skinny chap back then. Um, but you could see—I <laughs> don't know how old he was—probably like maybe twenty, maybe twenty, something like that. And you could see he had something, something to him. And now, sort of, in widely regarded as one of the top sort of two or three wrestlers in the entire world. And um, he's actually back there tomorrow night. But that, but that's that was a show probably in front of me. I don't know a couple of hundred people a few hundred people back then and he was working all those local shows around london and actually fast forward so you never you, you may ne- you may not get that but you never know who you're going to see for the first time and actually when you do see these wrestlers when you've seen them right at the start of their career and they're young guys you, you've always got an affinity to them that never really goes away so yeah get out there and support your local promotions definitely yeah i i'm i'm responsible for for booking sheamus in his first match so, oh really? Wow. That's yeah. yeah. He came here. I was working at the Monster Factory at the time, and and came here and and trained, and we and we put him in his first matches uh, over here before we sent him back home to to train over there. But yeah, if you go to our website, there's a a, a page, a, a store page, and we have DVDs, and and a couple of the people's names you'll recognize from from U.S. independence, but there are some names you'll also might recognize by what's going on in, in some of the, with some of the NXT people now. Um, actually we're, we're involved with a streaming company called power slam TV. And one of the matches, we didn't put the whole show on, but we put a match on between uh, previously mentioned Brian Johnson, um, against, uh, Leo rush. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you can, you can go to power slam TV, look up, it's all kinds of different promotions, go to old time wrestling and you can see uh, probably eight or nine of our shows, but there's that one standalone match that you can watch. Right. Jim, thank you so much. And where can we find you on Twitter as well? Oh, at Jim Molino. So it's J I M and it's M O L I N E A U X. The, the French spelling, not the, the British spelling. Yeah, I can only ima- I, I've got a long surname, as you know. I can only imagine that your, yours probably gets butchered just as much as mine does when it comes <laughs> to uh, comes to people spelling it. So, Jim, thank you so much um, for your time. It's an absolute pleasure and honour to have a chat with you about about wrestling. And I'd really like to have you back on in the future to uh, to do another mid Mid South episode at some point down in the future. So, so thank you very much again. I really, really appreciate it. No problem. I, I'd be happy to. I love watching Mid South. Uh, I'm stealing a lot of the booking ideas from from watching those shows. Why so not? No problem yeah. watching for- <laughs> well, Tony Khan is an AEW, so why why not? I think I think you know if it works on TNT, it works everywhere else. So yeah, good stuff. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please head over to iTunes where you can subscribe and perhaps you'll even be kind enough to leave me a lovely five-star review, which would absolutely make my day. If you're interested in guest hosting, please contact me via the Mid-South Moments Twitter account, which is at MidMoments, and I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon.